0: Good evening. So, how many of you were brought up in kind of a Christian household? Most. Most people here. So, when I um, saw the topic for tonight, uh, which John's going to put on the screen? Yes. Just waking John up. Yes. How important is the Sabbath, John? Yeah, there we go. No. It's how important is the Sabbath, anyway. Um, Sorry, I'm distracted. I'm easily distracted, sorry? Anyway, how important is the Sabbath is tonight's topic. So a lot of you are brought up in a a Christian household and maybe you've probably all had differing kind of expectations set by that household of what the Sabbath or possibly Sunday um, (laughs) implied. It's a good job I'm not easily distracted, um, and for me, I had a few experiences that particularly stood out in my mind. When I was quite young, we went on the Seven Valley Railway on the train, and one day, going on the train with my mum, I remember saying, at Bridgnorth Station, can I have an ice cream? I think that's quite a normal question for children. Can I have an ice cream? No, it's Sunday, was the answer. Why can't I have an ice cream on a Sunday, was my, you know, why, why, why? Well, that would be making people work. Right, what about all the other people that are running this railway? But that didn't seem to matter. A bit like travelling on a Sunday or going on holiday on a Sunday. Those people didn't matter. But the ones selling ice cream, maybe they were superfluous and didn't really need to be doing it. So we weren't going to buy an ice cream. Um, And then a bit later in life, as a teenager, I used to, uh, a young teenager, I used to race uh, radio-controlled cars, kind of semi-seriously. And um, a lot of the events that happened would be on a Sunday afternoon but that wasn't a permitted activity on a Sunday afternoon. Um, and then the other one was sport, uh, that was varied, but generally wasn't really encouraged on a Sunday. I, did anyone else have an experience a bit like that growing up, where Sundays were this slightly confusing thing as to what was allowed and what wasn't? No, just me, brilliant. Anyway, that was my experience, and um, just to point out that that's not just me, I was just. Googling something before because I came across this earlier and then I left my phone at home and Nick Reese and found it again, which is we're going to have a little bit of a look at Sabbath in the Bible, we're going to have a look in the Old Testament, the New Testament, then we're going to draw a few conclusions hopefully uh, for what you might want to think about. I'm not going to give you the answers, spoiler alert. Um, But Jews um, who, non-Messianic Jews, Jews who don't believe in Jesus, Jews now, Orthodox Jews, are still keen on Sabbath with a lot more rules than I had. And um, there's some Wikipedia articles on this. And the reason I looked at this is we recently bought some new Bosch ovens at home. And there was a chapter entitled Sabbath Mode. And I thought, what particular relationship could Sabbath have with the oven manual that I've just bought? Well, it does. And there's a whole Wikipedia article on Sabbath mode for appliances. Do you want to hear some of it? Yes. Thanks. I can't read all the Jewish words correctly. But while according to... Halakha, raw food may not be cooked on the Shabbat, Sabbath. Food that was already cooked beforehand may be kept warm until mealtime. In the past, the Sabbath observant would leave their food heating on the stove, blah, 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 where it had been covered with a metal sheet, or in the oven, which it had been cooked before the onset of Sabbath. However, contemporary consumers seek to use their kitchen's oven to keep food hot for Sabbath consumption, but must be assured that in opening the door to retrieve food, no Sabbath laws will be inadvertently contravened. Careful opening that door. An example of this would be ovens which are programmed to remove power from their heating element when the door is opened. Use of this oven would not be possible on the Sabbath without making modifications. Why on earth could you not open the door of your oven on the Sabbath? The reason being, you're turning the heating element on and off. And they have equated that to lighting a fire, which is prohibited on the Sabbath. You're all glad you came tonight, aren't you? Anyway, I'll get on with the talk now and stop waffling. When does my time start, John? I heard that Graham spent an hour talking once. Yeah, yeah. Mm. He's not back though, is he? So yeah, anyway, let's carry on. So Sabbath means to rest. So the Hebrew translates as to rest. Uh, which is simple. Um, it doesn't mean Sunday, it doesn't mean Saturday, it just means to rest. Um, and we're going to have a whiz through the Old Testament references to Sabbath and where it came from. So, Genesis 2, verses 1 to 3, verse the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So God's made the whole world. I think we'd consider that a decent-sized piece of work. It's reasonably busy to make the whole world in six days. And on the seventh day, he took a day off and rested. So that's the kind of blueprint. Um, And then we just skip back a tiny bit to Genesis 1 verse 27. There's a lot of scripture tonight, by the way, but I'll go quick. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we were made in the image of God. God did some work and had a rest. We're made in God's image. There seems to be a principle that doing some work and having a rest are two separate things. And maybe if God needed a rest and he's God, then maybe we do too. Um, And then we skip forward some, I don't know, 1,000 years, probably a bit more to Exodus when the Israelites are leaving uh, Egypt, having been in slavery for 400 years. Um, and got into the promised land. They need some food, it's the desert, there isn't any. So God provides bread from heaven, otherwise known as manna, and they have to go out and collect it each day. And Exodus says, See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day so the people rested on the seventh day. You didn't go out of your place, which I guess is your tent or where you lived, to go and get bread and food because you already had enough because God had provided for you to have a day's rest. Um, Now we've got the Ten Commandments, take one and take two from Exodus and Deuteronomy. we're going to read the whole of the one from Exodus John. Yeah, great. So remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do not, not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, all the sojourner who is within your gates. And then the key bit here, for in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the first time the Ten Commandments are given, we're related back to creation and that day's rest after six days of jolly hard graft. But then in Deuteronomy, the Ten Commandments are kind of repeated, restated. Um, I'm not going to read the whole of this one because it says pretty much the same bit until I've underlined it. But this time it says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So this time we've got a slightly different focus. We're still being, the Israelites were still being told to keep a Sabbath except this time they're being told because God set you free, when you have that day of rest, remember that. So we've kind of got, it's a blueprint that God did by doing it himself. And then he's saying, and when you observe it, remember that I set you free. And I will go on to point it out later, but although we weren't set free from slavery in Egypt, Jesus died that we might be free. I'll come back to that point. It's a good one. However, as we've alluded to already by reading about Sabbath mode on appliances, which wasn't an issue back then, there were no appliances or electricity, um, things did go wrong with the Sabbath. And this relates to humans and liking rules. Especially when we can apply them to other people. So if we uh, just read in Isaiah uh, chapter 1, verse 13, and then also I'm going to read verses 16 and 17. Uh, Bring no more vain offerings. Incense, this is God speaking through Isaiah, by the way. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. And then skipping forward a few verses, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. So, through Isaiah, God has actually gone on to say that he hates the Sabbath, which is interesting. Um, What's the word? It might not be hate. Uh, da, da, da. he doesn't like it anyway It depends on the translation you're in I've flicked around a bit this is all ESV that you're getting on the screen um, but basically the reason God is saying that is because the Israelites are kind of like observing this religious festival think of it a bit like kind of towing the line and coming to church maybe in our culture but really they're not living according to God's standards and doing the things God wants them to do hence the word iniquity um, their iniquity is big, their their sin, their evil is big, but they're turning up and (laughs) we're keeping the Sabbath. (laughs) Like as if that's a good thing, to kind of have a a good face, but not good's behind it. Um, So that was interesting. Then we're gonna go to a blank slide, John, for a minute. And we're gonna skip forwards a bit to the New Testament. I'm gonna talk about some of what Jesus did on the Sabbath, some of the examples we have, and I'm not gonna give you the verses because they're long passages and um, we've only got 15 minutes so first starting in Mark 1 um, Jesus is in a place that I always struggle to know with Capernaum. Capernaum Capernaum, that's it Capernaum. Um, Jesus casts out an impure, impure spirit he heals Peter's mother-in-law which is actually quite handy because she then cooks for them slight motive um, he heals many more people later on and in the following morning whilst it's still dark he goes to pray in a solitary place that was all on the Sabbath. Um, in Mark chapter two, um, Jesus and his disciples pick some heads of grain when they're walking through a field and eat them. Um, now that would have been work, because that's harvesting, picking and eating. Um, and the religious leaders spot them doing this and tell them that they're breaking the law. Arguing with Jesus never really went well for anyone. He always had good answers, but he points out that David, who was just like a major Jewish hero, um, also broke the Sabbath by eating uh, bread from uh, the temple that only the priests were meant to eat anyway. Um, And he goes on to go even further and what he actually says is, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Sabbath was made for us, not us for it, which is interesting. And then he really trumps them by saying, so the son of man himself is Lord of the Sabbath. So there, I think it probably just annoyed them really, but he was right. Um, Matthew 12, um, Jesus heals a man with a withered hand um, and he argues because he knows he's being watched at this point that it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath even though healing had been categorised by these Pharisees, these religious leaders, as work and therefore not allowed. Um, We see Jesus regularly teaching on the Sabbath because that's when people are gathered in the synagogue it's a great time to teach, everyone's together like today. Um, He performs many healings on the Sabbath, I'm not going to list them all, with various justifications aimed at those who think he's breaking the law or want to trip him up. Among those justifications are, it's a bit like circumcision, and that's allowed on the Sabbath, um, or likening it to letting an animal go and drink water, because that's a good thing, not making your animal uh, dehydrate for a whole day, um, or likening it to rescuing an animal that has fallen in a well. Um, all things that you're allowed to do on the Sabbath, when healing wasn't allowed. So Jesus doesn't really play by the rules that the religious leaders have set, much to their annoyance. Jesus uses the Sabbath to do good things, to teach others, and to spend time with his Father God. Those are the three things that I see happening in Scripture. Um, And then if we have a quick look as well, excuse the speed of this overview, the conclusion's better than this, but this is the background. Um, If we skip to Galatians, John, Thank you. Uh, this is Paul's letter to the Galatians. Um, but now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days, and months, and seasons, and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Paul's reminding us that Jesus has come. And we now have a relationship with God through Jesus that we could not have had before. Yet the church uh, that he was writing to were busily trying to religiously, a bit like the rule setting, have a relationship with God through doing all these things. It's not necessarily that those, in, those things in themselves were bad, but doing the things doesn't give us a relationship with God. It doesn't stand in the place of having a relationship with God. Um, carrying on with Paul's letters in Colossians 2... Verses 16 and 17, it says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, I read around this verse a bit because I found it a bit tricky, all these verses. Um, And I've, I've seen it cut both ways. Keep the Sabbath perfectly so that nobody can judge you is one interpretation of that verse that I've read, that some people do. The more common interpretation, depending on the translation you read, it's easier to see this, is that actually, don't let anyone touch you for what you do on the Sabbath, because it isn't about religiosity and a religious spirit. Um, And that second half, that second verse, these are a shadow of the things to come. Um, In the NIV it actually says, um, these are a shadow of the things that were to come, the substance belongs to Christ, implying that the thing to come was Jesus and the relationship that we now have. Um, So actually, the things that were a shadow, well, we live after Jesus, we have the relationship. The law and all of its requirements were not as good as relationship with God. They were kind of a a first hash at the thing, which we messed up, not God. (laughs) Um, The last of Paul's letters that I'm gonna quote is Romans chapter 14. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God, and whoever abstains does so to the Lord, and give thanks to God." This is quite interesting, because Paul's kind of making this more individual now as he writes to the Romans. Um, he's suggesting that our consciences play a part in this and that who we're actually that God is the the object of our worship God is the object of what we do and actually if we're keeping a Sabbath but it's not really for God then it does nothing for us if we're keeping a Sabbath and we're focusing on God then great but I think it's important that we recognise that we shouldn't judge others and that actually we should speak to God about what he would have us do in this situation, and I'll come a bit more onto that in due course. But I'd like to go back to the question first, which was asked of me, uh, and I've gone a long way around to trying to answer it. How important is the Sabbath? Um, so you remember where I started this with the ice cream, uh, which I think is missing the point, at least a bit. Um, as humans, we love to turn things into a set of rules. In fact, I'd quite like to turn the whole Bible into a simple set of rules that doesn't require interpretation. I just follow them, or not, as the case may be. Um, but we especially like rules that it's easy to judge others with, I find, um, because other people clearly mess up more than us, or it feels that way. Um, and the Sabbath is no exception. Man soon turned God's intention, which was that this was something good, that you would rest from work, that you would have time with him, uh, that you'd reflect on his goodness. But we turned it into something that actually looked more difficult than work itself. Uh, hence, Bosch have had to program ovens especially to account for this. Um, the weight of rules was a heavy burden. But Jesus came along and he satisfied the law so that we could be free. Sabbath as it had become didn't really look like freedom. Uh, We have forgiveness and life because of him, not because of anything that we did. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. So my answer to the question comes in two halves. God's original plan for the Sabbath was corrupted and distorted by man. God sent Jesus to die in our place. Jesus fulfilled the law. We now have a new relationship with God through Jesus. I think trying to be an Orthodox Jew and not turning the oven on on a Sunday would be irrelevant to the relationship that we now have with God and probably not an act of worship. But the second part of my answer is that we are still made in God's image. That hasn't changed. God rested from work and he was very busy, but he was also God. Jesus modelled doing good on the Sabbath, teaching, talking about things of God, the kingdom, and he spent time with God on his own. I consider myself a follower of Jesus, and as such, I therefore think that Sabbath could be pretty important to us. So, we've kind of said what Sabbath might not look like, and we've kind of said it's important, so what might it look like today, I wonder? And this has been a massive challenge to me, because... John said, would you talk on Sabbath? And I thought, ooh, that's probably something I could do with thinking a bit more about in my life. So I said yes, and it was a good opportunity to study the Bible and pray and see what I thought God was speaking about. And this next bit, part of it, has been inspired a little bit by Pete Gregg and a chapter in a book that we can recommend called How to Pray for Ordinary People or for Normal People or something. So we read it. Anyway, the writer of Ecclesiastes tells us that there is a time for everything and he gives a big list of all the things that there's a time for and within it we read, thank you John, um, there's a time to keep silence and a time to speak. And uh, Anyone here go to school ever once upon a time? I went to school. And did you ever hear about Pascal? Pascal's triangles? Someone did maths. Uh, Anyway, we can put a quote from him on screen, please, John. And he said, All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Who finds it easy to sit quietly in a room alone? Without a book or a phone or a telly or. Jake finds it easy, does he? No. Does anyone find it easy? Pascal's not wrong. Psalm 46, verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It's probably a familiar verse if you've been around Christian things for a while. And be still, when it's used in this verse, actually means to vacate. And that actually means to kind of step out of step aside I mean you know it in vacation but vacate the space and and to try and explain this verse better uh, Pete Gregg actually kind of wrote his own paraphrase which we're just going to put on screen now he said um this verse could read why don't you take a vacation from being God and let me be God instead for a change I quite like that so I spent quite a lot of time being God of my life and um Maybe when I take some proper Sabbath rest and I be still and know that God is God, then I actually take a break from being God myself and let God be God. Could do that more often, perhaps. So in challenging myself today, it isn't to worry about Sabbath being one day per week. That's not my current worry, be it Saturday, be it Sunday or some other day. But instead to make sure that I experience true Sabbath, God's rest, where I stop being God much more often. And I don't think this is going to be a very easy journey. I'm going to need God's help. I was thinking about the word vacate and what comes to mind. Switch off, unplug, slow down, disconnect from work, and others' demands, social media, noise, distraction. The news, that's my particular little... Some people scroll social media, but I just incessantly click on the news and read negative stuff that I make no difference about for the world. I don't even pray about it often. It just fills my mind and stops me being silent. Instead, I could reconnect to God and the world he created. And there's some things I could maybe do to achieve this, as well as all the disconnecting, there's some positive things I could do. I could get outside. I could take a walk or a cycle. I could sit and look at creation. I could take time to realise that actually when I stop fiddling with it, the world doesn't stop turning. It doesn't depend on me. God's God and I'm me. When we've managed to disconnect and switch off from distraction, then we can be still and know that I am God, not me, God. We can remember that just like God rescued the Israelites out of Egypt, God sent Jesus to rescue us and give us new life. And a final quote from Pete Gregg, if you might let me let him have the final word. You must seek solitude and silence as if your life depends on it, because in a way it does. You must seek silence and solitude as if your life depends on it, because in a way it does. And I've been in a better place than I am now with getting silence and time with God And it affects the rest of my life. It affects how rested I feel. It affects how connected with God I feel. Yet when you're busy, when you're filling every moment with that news, that social media, that TV, that book, whatever it is, other people, it just feels like hitting a brick wall to stop. And tonight, with Pete Gregg's words, I encourage you to stop.